morning. My name is Pastor Daniel Sick, and I'm a faith formation pastor here at the church. On we just one announcement more. We are starting next week with the new Sunday school classes, but I'm not here to announce that. Mainly, I'm here to present the message. I am a carpenter. This is just who I am. I grew up in Germany, as many of you know, and in Germany, after school, many people go into a trade and learn a trade, and I learned carpentry. And after three years of apprenticeship, Usually what happens is that you have some tests, um, what you've learned on construction side and also what you have learned um, in school, and you end up with a journeyman's license in carpentry. Our job as a carpenter is very honorable. We love it. I love it. As you can see here, um, different stages of life. The one where I'm so skinny that I was fresh out of school. Um, that uniform I don't have anymore. It wouldn't fit anymore. So I, at some point, had to buy a new uniform, but we do have our uniform. One of the few uh, professions in Germany that still has a uniform, carpenter's uniform. You have all everything you need. You can put the hammer here, you have your yardstick here, and you have your phone here, your knife here, whatever you need. You have several different pockets. It's my uniform. I am a carpenter. I love it. The work that we did was mainly half-timbered houses. Um, there are some examples here. Half-timbered houses, we did mainly um, restoration of half-timbered houses. Um, probably 150, 200-year-old houses that we would work on, restore, sometimes strip down all the way to the skeleton, just the wood was there, and then we would replace the beams that were rotten or something like that, and then the mason would come in and close it again. That was my work. Maybe I helped um, with our company about half a dozen half-timbered houses new that we constructed. That was our work. And our work was so important that once the roof was on and all the rafters were on, we celebrated a Richtfest. I looked up in the dictionary if there is something like a Richtfest in English. There's not. Think about it as barn raising and afterwards you have a celebration and a blessing of that time when you come together and you just talk about what had happened and so on. The carpenter is usually up top, as you can see here on the left picture, and he is reading a poem um, that he usually tries to um, write himself, and then with that he blesses the construction. Uh, it is a beautiful thing. Usually what we put in there is that we wish the couple that lives in the house as many children as nails are in that house. It's a beautiful profession. I love that profession, and I... I I'm a carpenter. I'm not just here to say I worked as a carpenter, I was a carpenter, I am a carpenter. And you can see that I still, after 20 years not having worked in the profession, I still have my uniform at home, I still put it on for work sometimes. Uh, I just love it. This is part of who I am. Why am I telling you this? Now, you know I'm not a carpenter anymore, or I don't work as a carpenter anymore. I work as a pastor. And I have worked as a pastor for many years. And when God called me into ministry, it was not easy. When you love your job so much, and when, when you're, you identify with that job so much, all of a sudden God says, I want you in seminary, 
I went like, nope. Not for me, I'm not gonna do it. This is, this is definitely not the way that I had planned it out. I wanted to go a different way. And God said, I want you in seminary. For nine months, I struggled and I asked, I prayed, I talked to people, but at some point I just realized that God wanted me in seminary. The key or one key conversation that I had was with uh, my dad when I went to him and said, hey, I think that God is calling me into ministry, that I should go and become a pastor. He was like, I'm not really sure if that is for you. And I almost went like, yeah, I don't have to go. Because I was still struggling with that. But then he continued talking about it. And he said, you know, you are a carpenter. You are good at what you're doing. You love it. You work with your hands. So I can't really see that happen. And in addition, I can't really picture you as a pastor. This, this is not you. But when you were not even born, when you were still in your mother's womb, we prayed that you would be a blessing for many people in the whole world. So you have my blessing. And that was huge for me. I didn't only have the calling from God, my heavenly father, but also the blessing from my earthly father. And this is where we come to the story of Moses, where we step into the story of Moses where he talked and learned some things that, and had to learn some things. Let's watch a short video that will tell us the story of that part of Moses' life. You see, when Moses was in his childhood, he probably had that conversation with the dad too, maybe even with both dads, his um, dad, his Hebrew dad, and also with the Pharaoh or someone in the Pharaoh's palace. He grew up in two different systems. He grew up in the palace of the Pharaoh, of the nation that had probably back then the most education available, the most resources available, and then the other system where he actually came from, the Jews, where they were slaves towards the Egyptians. And growing up in that, I can imagine, the Bible doesn't say it, but I can imagine that he had some questions, and he asked those questions. Josephus, one of the historians of the Romans, he wrote down some things about Moses and looked in the Bible and other resources that had uh, written down some things, and he said Moses probably knew that he was someone special for the work of God at that time. Um, so Moses was in that situation trying to figure out what is going on, what do I need to do now? And he comes to the situation, he sees that the Egyptians are treating the, his people totally wrong. And he steps into it, ends up killing the Egyptian, and it might have been in a, in a rush, it might have been in a situation, impulsive that he did it, but he did it. And he said, well, I think I know that I'm kind of someone special. I might be the deliverer or something like that. I might be the one to start something. So we'll see what, how that turns out. Well, it did turn out unexpected in a different way than he expected it. The Jewish people had seen him, and the next day they say, who appointed you 
the ruler and deliverer of us, or the ruler and, and, and the Savior, who appointed you the prince and judge of us? Ironically, 40 years later, he will become that. But let's go back to this 40 years where he was. He was 40 years old when that happened. He was at that point where we would probably call it some, something like midlife crisis. Have you heard that word? Have you gone through that? You know, midlife crisis, I'm 46, so I'm kind of in the middle of it. Maybe it's not a crisis right now for me, but Moses was in this point that he said, I have been educated by the best ever possible means. I mean, if you look what the Egyptians did in those times, the pyramids and everything, it is just amazing. And Moses was a student of that time. He had seen what leadership looks like. He had seen what rulership looks like. He knew what was going on. Something needed to happen, and Moses wanted to do something. But one of the things that Moses did not take into consideration is that you don't rush God. God had other things in mind yet. God wanted him to do a few other things yet. He wanted him to learn a few other things yet. Moses had to learn for one, that he should take God into consideration. You don't rush God. Through this incident, Moses learned to connect with God before he would be acting. One of the things that always stood out to me when I read the story of Moses was that he would always talk to God. There was always this one phrase, one verse in the Bible that would say, this situation came up and Moses talked to God. Our series is called Face-to-Face with God. Moses always tried to be face-to-face with God. It is only later that we find Joshua, his predecessor, no, his successor, sorry, his successor, that he, he, uh, Joshua is in a situation, someone talks to him, and without consulting God, Joshua decides the situation, and the whole situation goes south. Moses was known for Asking God, going face to face with God. And that is interesting. And I think it came because here, in this situation in which we are in, Moses had learned a lesson. He did it on his own and he did it on his own timetable. He had to learn that he needed to ask and consult with God first and foremost and then act upon what God would press on his heart. And the second thing, through this incident, Moses also learned to Do the things God's way. God was not done with Moses yet. God wanted to teach certain things to Moses yet. And God wanted to step into it. For me, this is a prime example of Romans 8.28 where we see that where the the verse says, um, everything were to work out for the good for those who love the Lord. God can take everything. I am pretty sure that God did not intend for Moses to kill this Egyptian. Moses would then later lead a situation where lots of Egyptians would be killed on God's terms. But in this situation, God didn't say, okay, kill this one guy, you know, and and this will, will start the thing. God did have to step in and say, okay, this was not planned, but I'm going to take that. I'm going to take you out of the situation right now. I'm going to send you somewhere else, and you're going to learn a few things. And those two things he had to learn in the desert. God stepped in and did that. But Moses had to learn to wait on God's timing. 
We should not rush things. Sometimes there are steps, additional steps that need to be done. Sometimes there are new things that need to be learned. Sometimes there is a new direction that needs to be learned. When I worked as a carpenter, I loved it. I didn't want to change. And as a pastor, all of a sudden, I have to do different stuff than what I had done before. Second thing that Moses had to learn was that you should not take God's place. And I said already that the, that one Jew said, who has appointed you, judge and leader over us? That would come at some point, but on God's terms. The thing is, when we start um, a riot, a revolution, or last night we watched uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, mutiny or something like, usually it gets the person killed. Or someone else takes over on leadership and it goes south or it goes into a direction that that one person did not intend it to be. Moses started that rev this revolution or wanted to do something about the situation, but it was not controlled. And God wanted to control the situation and say, hey, listen, I want these Israelites to be free, not just not under the oppression anymore. I want them to be free, and I want them to live in a country that I will give them, that I had promised to them a couple generations before. And God had to step into that and do that. God wanted controlled change, and Moses had to learn that. God had to step into his place. When doing something for God, the worst thing that you can do is think that you can do it on your own. Many times we think, this is from God, this is what we need to do, and then we do it on our own. And I was in Yap, our first mission field, we had a major typhoon, Category 5 typhoon. Um, think Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, um, just on a small little island about half the size of Lancaster County. 500 miles, only water around us, no way to evacuate, we were right there. And you can imagine the damage was great. 90% of all the houses were destroyed or damaged, and we had to reconstruct. I started working as a representative to FEMA from our church. I started working as a carpenter. I put my pastor's stuff to the side, put my carpenter's clothes on. I helped even a local um, carpenter who didn't know how to reconstruct the large preschool that we had, and I showed him what to do. I stepped into this situation, and I loved it. But I realized also that I was burning out, and I was burning out fast. And I do distinctly remember at some point that I walked into the office. I needed to do some more paperwork, but I walked into that office, and in the office, I closed the door, and I fell on my knees and I said, I can't do it anymore. God, I can't, I can't, I'm done. I'm a jack of all trades, but I'm running out of strength. I can't do it on my own. And it is, if, if God would be saying to me, you don't have to. It's not about you. You're not the center. It is all about me. And that phrase stuck with me for the rest of my life. It is all about God. We need to learn that it is all about God. You know what my sin was? My sin was that I was the German certified carpenter, that I was the model effective missionary, that I was the man that, that, that representative towards FEMA. I was the one. I was doing it. My sin in that situation was pride. And I had to recognize that and I had to say to God, listen, this is not right. And God stepped in and said, 
I know it's not right, let me take over. And all of a sudden, things fell into place. All of a sudden, paperwork with FEMA worked out. All of a sudden, the wood for the roof that we needed for the church was being provided at no cost. We still had to work for it, but it was no cost there. See, Moses was in a similar situation. He thought that he was the deliverer. Well, he's not. God is. Moses was a tool that God used to deliver to the people. We have a similar situation a couple thousand years later when the Pharisees thought that they were the holy ones. Let me show you how Christian life is right. Let me show you how you live with God. I'm the one. You remember that story where Jesus tells the story of, the, of, of that Pharisee that stands up front and says, I'm the one, I'm fasting, I can show you, I'm doing this, this and I'm doing that and so on. And the sinner in the back says, Lord, have mercy on me. The Pharisees were at that point that they thought they were the holy ones. And how fast are we at a point that we think we got it all figured out? We are the holy ones. We know what's going on. Let me tell you something. All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standards. All fall short of being as good as God, as holy as God, the deliverer from God. There's no one who is righteous, not even one, Romans 3.10. For Pete's sake, I was, I was the leader. I was the typical cool Christian. I mean, it doesn't get any better for a Christian to be on the mission field in the South Sea, nice brown skin from all that sun, and then working there as a missionary, as a professional Christian, you know. But I fell short because I had pride in myself. I had replaced God, and I was the one to lead everything, just like Moses had done. Moses was leading. Moses had this, I am educated by the, the, uh, the Egyptians. I am the one God called. I am the one, actually, that rescued me. You know, the, my parents, they just did something, but God rescued me. I am the one who, gave, who was given a higher power. Thankfully, the story doesn't end here. Moses runs away, and God shows grace. God shows mercy to him. So much so that he delivers not only him from being punished by death from the Pharaoh, but he gives him a place to stay, a wife to marry, and a father-in-law to learn from. In Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Hebrews 11, 4, uh, 24 says that Moses showed faith by making up his mind. He wanted to be with God instead of the Egyptians. He wanted to live with God. So it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift from God. It is not by works, not but why, what you can do, but it is a gift from God so that no one can boast. And this is good news. But now comes the most beautiful part of that. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. Here's where that phrase comes in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Moses had to learn that, that without God, he can't do it. I had to learn that without God, I can't do it. And we all need to learn that without God, I can't do it. 
Yes, I could work as a carpenter. Yes, I was a good missionary. Yes, I could do all those things. But boy, was I running out of steam fast. We need God in our life, and he will help us. Moses had to learn that you don't rush God. God knows what he's doing, and we need to wait on him. And to be honest, that is not some, uh, something easy to do. But we need to wait on him, and he in time will reveal his plan to us. And Moses had to learn that you don't take God's place. We need to surrender completely our life into, our, in, into his hands. And I don't know where you are right now. If you need to recommit your life into God's hands and say, hey, I need to make sure that God is on the throne, on my throne. I want to point out something that we do every Sunday, actually, since we started the, um, the online stuff and so on, since the beginning of uh, COVID. Um, we have discussion prompts. If you go online and look at uh, the sermon again, underneath there are some discussion prompts and action steps that you can look at um, just to get you thinking in the right direction and working with that sermon again so that you can look into how can I apply that in my life. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you need to look at that. What can I do to recommit, resurrender my life to God? Or maybe you say, I have never done that. I, 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 I don't know what that means to live under God's leadership. Maybe you're listening to this right now, watching it also, and, and saying, well, I kind of realize it doesn't work. On my own, it doesn't work. You know, th those phrases, buttercup, suck it up, um, doesn't work anymore. Or this, yeah, somehow it will work out. Or embrace the suck. Sometimes it doesn't work. Those phrases have lost their magic. You know, the Alcoholics Anonymous, they have the three first steps for me are the key steps. First one is you need to recognize that you have a problem. Second step is you need to recognize that you can't do it on your own. And then the third step is you need a higher power. That's the official three steps out of the 12 steps that the Alcoholics Anonymous have. But the last one is a key. When it says you need a higher power, that is Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ in your life. And you need to ask him to lead you and guide you. How do you do that? You might ask. In 1 John, 9, it's, uh, 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, if we confess that we have tried on our own for way too long, then he is faithful and just and he will restore us, he will forgive us our sin, and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has, has confessed sin and wants to invite Christ in his life, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. God wants to step into your life. I was uh, talking to a counselor just recently, and he said, you need to take off and put on, take off the old and put on the new one. And some of you might know that. Take off, put on. Next time you watch Karate Kid, think about that. Take off your old clothes of doing it on your own and put on Christ to live with Christ and work with Christ. This is your desire today. If this is what you want to take off and put on, I want to invite you to pray with me. And we come before God and we tell him that 
I'm done doing it on my own. I want to do it with you. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. I realize that for way too long I've done it on my own. I've done it on my own terms, my own timeline, but I recognize that that doesn't work. And I pray to you that you step into my life, that you take over, that you forgive me for doing it on my own, and that you forgive my sins, everything, everything that is there. I want to thank you that you are someone who extends grace, and I want to surrender my life to you. Lord Jesus, step into my life. Lead me, guide me with every step that I take. Thank you that you love me and that you care for me. And I pray this in your precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I tell you, in the Bible it says that there is a party in heaven for everyone who turns away from sin and turns to God. And this party, I'm sure, has to do also with worshiping God and praising God. So I want to invite you to stand up and worship God with us and join in into that party in heaven. Let us worship.